So just in preparing, I just was struck. I, I don't know, have, I wonder if any of us have found our lives in a place that maybe wasn't our ideal, it wasn't what we dreamt of. I wonder if anyone here has experienced a deep hurt or deep loss, disappointment, that has sometimes just felt too overwhelming to actually bear. I think I'd be quite surprised if there was even one person here this morning who doesn't have a prophetic word or a hope or a deep longing that we are contending for, praying for, trusting God for. Um, have you ever looked at your life and maybe thought, why me? Or maybe why, why not me? Maybe feeling a bit overlooked. And I know at times I have, I've had those thoughts. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay to admit and to acknowledge that sometimes we don't understand. We don't understand what is happening or why it's happening. I think it's okay to sometimes feel a little bit disappointed. I mean, look at the Psalms. We've got David time and time again voicing his disappointment and acknowledging that what is, maybe there's a gap between what is and what we would have hoped for. And I definitely think it's okay to abhor the evil and the pain in the world. And it's not only in the world, it's in our community and sometimes in our own lives. And it's okay to, to grieve the evil around us. But I know that God never wants us to settle in that place. He never wants us to be trapped and stuck in the mud, that old kiddies game. He loves us far too much to see us held back in that place. And I'm so grateful that we have a very kind, a loving Father, but He's also a powerful and mighty God who says, I am with you. In it all, I'm with you. Despite it all, I'm with you. And he's not only present with us, it's amazing. He's not only present with us, but we can trust him. We can trust our Father God. And you know, he's the God, he sees the whole picture. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we read. He knows our yesterday, he knows our today, and he knows our future. We can trust him. As that wonderful song says, when all around is sinking sand, we can stand on the truth that God is trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. We are still in the he is, so he is trustworthy. I'm going to ask you just to well, do some scripture, <laughs> looking at Luke 1. Let's look at verse 30, and I'm going to jump right down to verse 38, but just skip a few verses. So it's where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. But the angel said to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign, like we've been seeing this morning, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? asked Mary. 
She asked him because she said, I am still a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 38, her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now here's a young lady, just a girl really, whose life, I think we can say, took a rather unexpected turn. Maybe a little bit of a gap between where she thought she was heading and what actually was about to happen. I think when she thought, how am I going to explain this? A visit from a divine heavenly being, a promise that I was to become pregnant by a fairly unconventional way, like probably the most unconventional way, and that my baby is going to be called the Son of God. I venture to say she might have been a little bit apprehensive in how she was going to break this news. Firstly, to Joseph, her fiancé, a little bit tricky. Then maybe to her family, not so easy either. And then what about her community? What about the people at large? So my question to young Mary is how did you do it? How did you accept what the angel told you? So her first question to angel Gabriel, the first one written here was, how will this be? I'm a virgin. Very sensible, very practical. In fact, I feel quite at home because often I don't understand. I don't know why some things happen. So I feel like I'm in good company there. Because Mary didn't understand, she asked the question, how? The angel then goes on to explain a bit more, and Mary's response quite soon after is, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I think it's quite remarkable that the only question she asked was how. If it had me, if it had been me, I dare say it would have been something like, why me? Why now? Why God? Why? What are you doing? This is not what I planned. But Mary, how? How will this be? But you know what? I think that Mary got to this point from how to I'm your servant because she trusted God. Put another way, she knew that he was worthy of her trust. She had a lot on the line. She had her reputation. She had her future marriage, um, her um, reputation, um, her dreams, her integrity. Everything was on the line. But all those things are about her, isn't it? Her dignity, her integrity, her reputation. But somehow she was able to look past herself, past herself, past how she thought it would turn out. And that quietened her fears. That quietened her doubts. Because she made a decision to trust God. She made a decision to move from how to I'm your servant. So I think there's a precursor to trusting God, and I think it's what Mary has illustrated. It's believing that God is worthy of our trust. Mary knew that God was trustworthy because she knew the history of the Israelites. 
She'd seen and heard the stories of them coming out of Egypt miraculously, the promised land, um, victories at places like Jericho. She knew those stories, so she knew God. But you know what? Knowing God and knowing that he is trustworthy is very different to actually trusting God. Knowing and doing are quite different. Having access to something, but actually taking hold of it, are not the same thing. But Mary was able to activate her trust in God because she believed that God was trustworthy. We've got a few scriptures I just want to mention that teach us that God is trustworthy. Romans 8.28, you all know that he is working for the good of those who love him. So I can have full confidence in God. I can trust him because I believe that scripture. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. I can have full confidence that I can rely on God because he is truth. I can believe him. Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you, which means that I can feel safe and secure and I can have access to that peace amidst whatever I'm going through, no matter what. I do think it's also helpful for us to recognize that <laughs> trusting God won't necessarily change what happens. But trusting God will definitely strengthen us. It will give us courage. It will influence us. And it will determine how we respond and how we react, how we cope and get through what is happening to us. I think that we also need to acknowledge that we all trust something or someone. We've all put our trust somewhere. I think we need to recognize that we might have put our trust in a person, maybe a country, maybe a bank balance, maybe an education, maybe an app. We've all chosen to put our trust in something. And we're also all looking for ways to help us cope with what life throws at us, with disappointments and loss. And you know, these coping mechanisms are not all bad. But if any of these additions, any of these coping mechanisms are becoming more important to us, if they are taking the place of trusting God in our lives, then I think this morning is a great opportunity to realign our lives, establish God at the center, seek him first, and trust him most. So we've recognized we have a precursor to trusting God is that he is trustworthy, acknowledging that. And secondly, that we're all putting our trust in something. Let's trust God. So let's look a little bit at trust. Obviously, it's a huge topic, so I'm just going to take two, two points. The first is that trust is not based on experience, but it's based on the character of God. And then... The second point is that trust is an act of surrender, an act of surrender. So starting with trust is based on the character of God, what do I mean by that? We know up front that we are not shielded from hurt, disappointment, disaster, and suffering, 
And I, I mean, I say it quickly and glibly, but for many of us, those are very real aspects of our lives. The Bible is clear, though. It says, when you face trials of many kinds, we are not guaranteed as believers that we won't, we don't serve a Father Christmas God, but we are told that our experience will never override the truth about who God is, the truth that we can trust him. And in John 16, verse 33, it says we can have peace. We can have peace during hardships. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but we can have peace. What a beautiful, beautiful gift. So um, Mark and I, we were married in our, or my late 30s, very late 30s. And before we got married, Mark felt God drop in his heart that we would have four children. I think he thought I was going for 12 after I came back from his mission trip. <laughs> but he felt God say four, two biological and two adopted. And I was delighted with that. And so we got married, I fell pregnant, and a short while later I had a miscarriage. Now as many of you will know as women, well anyone, Often when something traumatic happens to us, we don't only mourn the traumatic event. We, we mourn what we've lost, what could have been, the dream. And in this case, it was growing our family. It was starting a family. And of course, I wasn't getting any younger. But the truth is that God is trustworthy. He is worthy of being trusted, and he brings peace. And it brings us a wonderful assurance knowing that God is in control. John 14, 27 says, We are reminded, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And you know, sometimes we have to fight for that peace because the lies of the enemy want to distract us. And fear, it's a terrible weed in the garden of our hearts but we trust God. So the next part of that story, I fell pregnant. We had our beautiful Sarah Fay, our little princess of faith. And then I fell pregnant again. And a little bit further on in the pregnancy, I miscarried. It was a little bit more medically complicated this time. And again, we had to actively take hold of this truth that we can trust God. He is worthy of our trust. But of course now I'm over 40. And as any of you who've had babies in your 40s will know, um, if you weren't a little bit apprehensive, well, all the specialists and all the cautions and all the suggestions, have these extra scans, do these extra things, it feeds your fear. So we had to fight for peace and for joy because a pregnancy is a joyful thing and we had to stand on God's word. Um, during the nine months, we, we fought for that joy and... Also, another horrible thing is that the whole process of being pregnant when you're older costs more. Financially, it just costs more. You, you um, labeled high risk, charming, high risk, high risk in your pregnancy. But God, and we had our beautiful son, Brenton Luke. Now, I also want to say that feeling heartbroken, fear, feeling fearful, maybe even feeling forgotten at times, it's not an indicator that we don't trust God. I mean, let's look at David. Let's have a look in the Psalm, Psalm 13. He says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Isn't that wonderful? He was so real. 
I think it's far more dangerous if we don't pour out our hearts to God, if we don't seek Him. I think it's more dangerous if we allow disappointment to settle first in our minds, and then you know what happens, it takes root. And then it starts to sprout things like the lies of the enemy, like can God really be trusted? It's here in our mind that we start to believe the lies of the enemy, but you know what? God is trustworthy, and you can trust him, and that's exactly where David landed. Later on in that chapter in Psalms, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. It doesn't say before that anything changed, but David clung to, he took the decision to claim the truth that God can be trusted. He chose to trust God. And you know, we're all making a choice. We have to be intentional. We have to choose to stand on the rock of ages. Even when it doesn't make sense, we have to trust our Father God. The second point about trusting that we're going to look at is that it's an act of surrender. I don't know if you always want to hear that. But when we trust God... It's a little bit less about saying, okay, I trust you, you can help me. I trust you to do that. In fact, it's I trust you and so I will obey. Because I trust you, I will obey you. Didn't Jesus in the garden just before he was crucified give us such a beautiful glimpse when Jesus cried out to his father, if this cup could be taken, if there was any other way, because he knew what was coming. But he says, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Such complete surrender, such full submission to the will of the Father because he trusted his Father God. He was unreservedly, he was wholeheartedly submitted to the will of the Father. And you know what? Trusting God is not passive. You know that little game where you turn your back and you just fall backwards and someone catches you? That's that's not really trust. (laughs) I don't think the decision to trust God is passive, and I don't think the result of trusting God is passive. I'm realizing that when I say I trust you, God, it's actually not about me expecting him to now come through. It's not about me saying, I trust you, you can heal me, you can provide for me, you can, and he does those things. But I'm realizing that trust and obey actually go together. When I trust God, my response is actually, what are you saying, Lord? Where are you leading, Holy Spirit? When we trust God, we obey God. It's quite radical. (laughs) When we trust him, we obey him. Now, I've looked at what trust is based on, the character of God, not our experiences, and that trust is an act of surrender. So I'm just going to quickly run through five very short ways. How can we get to that point of trusting God? And the first is that we get to trust God by knowing him, by knowing his character, by knowing who we are, to him, by prioritizing truth, 
and lastly, by renewing our minds. And you know what? Those of us who are born-again believers, we've actually already trusted God. We've already put our lives into his hands. We've done this through faith, believing Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. We've trusted our entire eternity into the hands of God. And so I'm wondering that if we believe the promise of eternal life with God, eternal life with God, how come for us it's sometimes a bit harder to trust the temporary life here on earth into Jesus' hands? We've trusted him with eternity, but sometimes it's really hard to trust him now with the temporary. Our day-to-day lives, the here and now. It's almost like we trust God for eternal things, but trusting him for the temporary, the things here and now, is a little bit more difficult. So our first point to trusting God, how do we do it, is that we can get to know him. Now, when I first met Mark, we'd actually been at varsity together, but I had never bumped into him. But I met him at Glenridge. Um, and he came fairly well recommended. I knew his friends. He was knitted into a home group. He came to church. Um, so, yeah, he presented well. But it was only when we started spending time together, chatting, that I actually got to know Mark. And as I got to know him, I began to trust him. And of course, the culmination of that trust was that I trusted him with my heart and with my future. And it's, it's now that I can say that as his wife, I married the man that I trusted. I trusted his love for me. I'm fully submitted to God. <laughs> I thought he might stand up and say, well, not always. But I trust that I'm moving towards being fully submitted to my husband because I trust his love for me. I trust him. It's easy to submit to somebody who you know loves you. And you know, whilst our little love story, and it's very precious to us, but it falls so short of the amazing wedding feast that God is preparing for his bride, the church, and for Jesus. But I hope it just in a little way illustrates that trust is built through personal relationship, through getting to know. And you know what? Don't settle for a second-hand relationship. Don't rely on others to speak to you about what God is saying. God desires to speak to you personally. He desires to whisper the intimacies, the intimacies of heaven into your ear. He desires to have a wonderful personal relationship with you. Don't settle for something that's diluted or condensed by somebody else's understanding or their experience. And I've found don't only talk about God. It's really helpful to talk to God. Don't fall into that trap. And you know what? Um, please don't fall into the enemy's trap of turning your back on your relationship of, with God. And there might be many reasons why you've done that. Do not fall into that trap of turning your back on a relationship with God. Fight for your relationship with God. Contend for it. Stay the course. Deal with has to be dealt with. 
whoever has to be dealt with, but keep your relationship with God strong. Fight for that. Secondly, and I have to get a bit quicker here, knowing the character of God, Psalm 9 says, those who know my name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. God's name throughout scripture speaks about his character. Throughout scripture, his name describes him. And obviously, the the Bible is full, starting from the Old Testament, um, some of the names everlasting, Rock of Ages, um, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, Emmanuel, the list goes on. These are all descriptors of the character of God, the person of God that we are going to place our trust in. And then, of course, because of the Trinity, we can throw in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we have Redeemer, Savior, Wonderful Counselor, Friend, even Friend, how amazing. The Creator of the world calls us Friend. John 14, it tells us that the Creator of the world calls us His Friend. And also the Word is full of promises, promises that God has made to us that tell us of His character. Um, Be strong and courageous, it says in Deuteronomy. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are never going to be abandoned. He will never forsake us. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley, we know the psalm, your right hand comforts me. We have the comfort of Father God through our lives. Isaiah 41, take hold of my right hand and I will help you. These are promises in the word that speak to us of the character of God, the person in whom we put our trust. It's also important to know who we are to God, our identity in Christ, how he sees us. And of course, we have to start with Ephesians, which says he chose us. We are adopted into his family, sons and daughters, co-heirs. We are his children. That is who we are to him. He's called us his friend, so it's John 15, and we are also a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is who we are to God. He's entrusted us with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I think we just need to stop and be completely overwhelmed by who it is that sees us, who it is that has adopted us into his family, and how God sees us. And you know, our response is never entitlement or um, what else, arrogance or judgment, but our response is a deep gratitude, a a deep appreciation and love and trust for our Father. That's our response to knowing how he sees us. The next point is truth over fact, even when it doesn't seem possible. So Mark and I started the adoption process for our fourth child. Abigail was already home. She was number three. And now we were waiting for our little boy. And we knew that the landscape of adoption in South Africa had changed, even in that short time. And um, it wasn't getting any easier to adopt children. So anyway, we met our social worker. We updated our reports. We had our home visits. And everything was fine. And then we waited. And we waited and we waited. And we prayed, and we prayed with our friends, our family, our home group, and we even joined the city prayer meetings just to pray for the release of children into homes, the placement of babies, and for adoptions to to start happening again in the country. We prayed for our little boy wherever he was at this time, that he'd be protected with kind words and gentle hands. But we knew that 
God had ordained for a little boy to be placed in our home, and we were just contending for the release of him, the placement of him into our family. But you know what? There were lots of people, and we knew them by name, that we could specifically pray for who were holding up that process, actively holding it up um, in the welfare departments, Department of Social Development. Anyway, one day I said to Mark, I know what it is, because obviously you're trying to control things as much as possible. I said, love, we don't have a name for our new little boy. If we have a name, then this, like, it'll be like a, a cork exploding. Then everything will be released. We just have to get a name for our little boy. And Mark was like, no, you know, I, I think that, that's lovely, but I don't think that's, that's the problem. I think there are other things at play. So I was okay. You know, and then a short while later, he came home from church, and during worship, he felt God had laid, or I seen a picture or a word, lion. I was like, that's it, Judah, Judah. Okay, his name's going to be Judah, and now it's all going to happen. Lion of Judah, that's, that's it. Now our boy's going to come home. Again, Mark, very calmly. Um, no, I don't think it was about the name. Um, it was just a lion I saw, and okay, all right. He's fighting for us, roaring lion, Okay. Anyway, one morning, in fact, we were in the car park of Wee Friends, having just dropped off our kids, and um, we got the call from a social worker, and she said, we have a little boy for you to meet, um, and I want to tell you his name. His name is Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, right? Can you believe it? How in the details God was that this little boy was not random, so before we even met him, we knew that this was our boy and we would be taking him home. Um, God had confirmed to us in that moment that this was our son, and he'd specifically spoken to Mark to confirm that. So we met our son, our God-given gift, chosen specifically for our family by our Heavenly Father, and now our son Daniel has been home for over five years. So we are so grateful, and we have one of many stories that tell us that despite the facts, Despite what is going on around us, God can be trusted. Because God's truth is that he is for adoption. God's truth is that he loves adoption. We are all adopted. And he had told Mark that he was going to grow our family through adoption. And he'd given Mark the word lion. So we could stand on that truth, even when the facts around us were saying something completely different. And you know what? Knowing that the language of the Lord is truth, we can always stay the course we can wait expectantly, and it was a long wait. It was over a year that we waited. But truth always trumps facts. Why? Because God is truth. Isn't that amazing? And you know, in Scripture, in John 1, it says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we all know John 14. I am the way, the truth and the life. We can trust in God's truth. And then our last point is that we can renew our mind. How do we trust God? By renewing our mind. And you know, it's easy to be distracted by the popular thoughts and opinions of this world. Uh, and before we know it, we're floating around in anxiety and fear. It's like our minds have become polluted. But you know what? They can be made new. They can be renewed. Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And you know, when we do that, when we focus on him, we can see clearly. I won't start singing that song. 
In Romans 12, it says that we can be transformed. We can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our lives are changed as our minds are renewed by the truth. Our lives are changed as our minds are renewed by the truth. Some other ways to renew our minds, and as parents um, on a day like today, is through teaching. You know, I don't have the exact chapter and verse why I often agree with something or something doesn't sit well with me. But oh, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> um, I can remember having morning devotions around the breakfast table for my whole life. My mom used to sit with my brother and I and we'd have devotions every morning before school. And that planting of the word in our hearts, in our children's lives, it bears fruit. And we might not know the chapter and verse, but we know the truth. The truth is embedded in us. Um, we went to church every Sunday. We went to Sunday school, youth camps, you know, all those things. And we were soaked in the biblical truth of who God is. And, you know, in Romans it says, How will they call on my name if they have not believed? We cannot deny our children or anyone in this church the opportunity of calling on the name of God because they don't know in who to believe. Teaching is such a valuable tool. And sometimes we just also need to take audit, take an audit of our lives, because you know what? We all have put our trust in something. We've all chosen to trust something. Look at Rahab. She um, picked a side. She chose to hide those soldiers. And why? Because she knew the God of the Israelites. She knew by reputation and so who are you trusting? Who are you choosing to put your trust in? Because when we take an audit, we actually have to be quite honest with ourselves. And of course, renewing our minds happens through community, through times like this. But also, I've had the wonderful privilege of being in a few eye groups with other ladies. And, you know, we're all on this incredible journey of wanting to be more like Christ. But there are days when we just might need a bit of encouragement. There are days where we need to be prayed for or sometimes reminded about a truth that we've actually chosen to maybe just put on the side for a while. There are days that we need to be spurred on, and that's called community. It's the priesthood, it's you and I, the priesthood of all believers working together and ministering to each other, whether it's over a cup of coffee or whether it's in a counseling room, as the priesthood of believers in community, we are called to help renew each other's minds. And as we draw to a close, um, yeah, we've trusted God with so much, with our eternity. And it's so helpful just to keep remembering that we are not trusting God for what he can do, but actually we are trusting God to be obedient to him. We are putting our trust in God and our response is obedience because trust actually leads to action. We could sum it up like this. He is worthy of our trust. Peace is the fruit of trusting God and obedience is our response to trusting God. He is worthy, peace is the fruit and obedience is our response. 
maybe we could just, um, there's a moment here maybe, <laughs> just before I finish off where we could just pray for a minute. If you don't mind, if you'd like to just close your eyes, I just thought a few things just at this point to maybe reflect on. Forgive us, Father, if we've placed our hopes in the promises of God rather than in the person of God. Forgive us for maybe even making promise mantras rather than trusting in the one who is trying to reveal himself to us and draw us near. Forgive us, Father, for not trusting you. Forgive us where we've placed our trust in something or someone above you. Forgive us for experiencing or confusing our experiences with who you are. Forgive us, Lord. Isaiah 26 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Thank you, Father. And maybe it would just be helpful to consider, just as the final point, for us just to consider who is it that we are putting our trust in. If we do that little internal audit, who is it that we are putting our trust in? And in fact, what does trusting God look like for me today? What does trusting God look like for you today? And we'll probably find that if we're honest with ourselves, this question or the answer to this question will influence our lives, it will influence perhaps how we pray and what we pray for, might even influence our time, how we spend our finances, how we raise our children, what we focus on. And so Holy Spirit, would you this morning just make us aware of areas in our lives where we need to trust you? And thank you for this opportunity, Father, this morning, just to realign our minds and our hearts with truth, the truth of God. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal.